hey, you're a cracked podcast listener. That means you're great, and Squarespace knows it. They are our sponsor today because they want to help you put yourself online with a website that's as great as you are. You can customize everything about a template from world-class designers to get the optimal website for you that feels like it is specific to you. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever, and it's great for everything from showcasing your work to blogging or publishing content to even selling products and services of all kinds with just a few clicks. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also stricken with the flu. I apologize for how I sound, um, and we're going to get you straight to the episode where I am healthy. I'm healthy there. Uh, And it's a straightforward one, so it needs very little setup. Our guests are Jack O'Brien, our old friend, and Miles Gray from the podcast The Daily Zeitgeist. And the episode is about music. All our info is coming from two cracked articles that none of us wrote. Um, The one article is Seven WTF Musical Supergroups That Almost Happened by Carolyn Burke. And the other is Five Insane Music Collaborations That Almost Happened by last week's guest from Unpopular Opinion, Adam Todd Brown. Because that's the topic today, supergroups and collaborations that we almost got. It's a nice big team-up episode, so let's enjoy it. Please sit back or sit forward with extreme health, you lucky so-and-so. Either way, enjoy this episode of the Crack Podcast with Jack O'Brien and Miles Gray. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. We are joined in the studio by uh, podcaster, musician, comedian, so many other things, Miles Gray. Hello, that, Miles. Wow. That, thank you so much. I, that was the first time someone described me as a musician, and oh. I appreciate that. Yeah, happy to. I don't brag about it, you know, but I am a virtuoso bass player, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we are, we are also joined by uh, his name. I'm having trouble pronouncing it. Yeah, uh, I am, it's new to me, but I believe it's Jack O'Brien, isn't it? That's right. Hey. That's right. It is I, Jack O'Brien. <laughs> How's it going, cracked it's listeners? It's going well. Thanks for thank you both and for you guesting, too, and especially especially you. Yeah, it's great to have you. Welcome guys. back. Yeah, there's all kinds of things we could talk about. One of the most fun would be the world of music, because among among many other things going on, there's been a lot of news in it. But in particular, there's been kind of the interview to end all interviews. If oh. you're a fan of music, because yes. uh, there's a gentleman named Quincy Jones who is a legend. I thought just in music and Hollywood, but it turns out he's a legend in every way. He's seen it all. If you're a fan of music or just anything at all. (laughs) Being Uh, alive. Marlon Brando. Anything. uh, (laughs) Sex. uh, Just the word motherfucker. Because he's, I think, 84, 85 years old, something like that. And he is all of a sudden now doing, if people are not aware, utterly bonkers interviews online. There was one for Vulture that blew up on Twitter that I saw. And then it turned out he did one for GQ the week before. Also full of craziness. You know, when I read that one, I was I felt like maybe the they were editing it slightly because a lot of those quotes that he had felt like the Vulture interview where he was about to just like pivot on a weird segue like right. after dropping a thing. So <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to hear if I, if I could hear the tape because I feel like there were not as many amazing pivots as there were in the Vulture one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he would say stuff like Marlon Brando had sex with James Baldwin and Marvin Gaye. What sign are you, man? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He said, Marlon Brando used to go cha-cha dancing with us. He could dance his ass off. He was the most charming motherfucker you ever met. He'd fuck anything. Anything. He'd fuck a mailbox. <laughs> James Baldwin, Richard Pryor, Marvin Gaye. And then the interviewer goes, he slept with him? How do you know that? And then Quincy, there's a like stage direction where it says frowns. And then Quincy says, come on, man. He did not give a fuck. You like Brazilian music? Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh. there you go. Straight there to Brazilian is. music. I like Brazilian music. But. Yeah. <laughs> the interviewer answers earnestly about Brazilian music. He doesn't stop right. and be like, but, 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 yeah. but, yeah. but yeah. is like, every celebrity uh, gay? Like, oh, tell me about this. Yeah. Quincy know. Jones's charisma <laughs> is such that you can't like steer the conversation yourself. He just moves it wherever he wants to. Yeah. Uh, also, 
also, you clearly do not need the tape now that Alex has done his rendition yeah, of Quincy yeah, Jones's words. Yeah, he's ended it. Now I, I'm going to have <laughs> yeah. to retire the Quincy Jones voice uh, forever. <laughs> the other thing, I wonder if, because in that interview too, he said like, well, you know, uh, they cracked the human genome project, so I'm going to be living for another 30 years. Mm. Like he was saying that like it was a matter of fact. Yeah. He and toy- I wonder if that his newfound invincibility or something is playing into that. <laughs> you get the sense because he says a couple times that he quit drinking two years ago and that he feels like incredibly sharp. You get the sense that at that time he also took up cocaine, like right. just doing loads and loads of cocaine because right. some of the stuff he says <laughs> is just, just amazing nonsense. But, yeah, but it's a testament to how many years his career has spanned to even have these stories. Cause I think like, Oh they yeah. Saying like one of the first gigs he played, like he even played like Dwight Eisenhower's inauguration. <laughs> like he was in a band that played. Really? There. Yeah. It was some very early president that I was like, wow, this dude has, he's been around them all. Right. Yeah. It's because especially in music, it seems like people will often start at very, very young. And so he, I think started as a teen or early twenties or something like that as a professional musician. And yeah. then, so he has been doing this forever and met everyone. And it's he gets this. And you know, he's, he's unlike other older people who like in their senility just start to say wild shit. Like he's earned a lot of that. And you can't deny that this, these probably aren't lies. Although the children of many of these people have come out to be like, my daddy did not have sex with Marlon Brando. Uh, one of the other people that he said Marlon Brando had sex with was Richard Pryor. And Richard Pryor's wife was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. They definitely <laughs> fucked. And it was just Brando's kid who denied it. But. No, no. Pryor's daughter, I think, said it too. Oh, really? She was like, daddy would not have relations with him. Mm. And it's like, you. so your dad was telling you who he was fucking? And also, he, he was openly bisexual, like in the 70s. Yeah. When yeah. this When the drugs were happened. also fire, too, apparently. Right, so. right. And these are also questions I never thought I'd be asking. Right. Just period. Yes. Like, thank you, Mr. Jones. This is right. incredible. Yeah. Like, what a world. Because now right. he's just blown, you know, like, I think really people need to realize that was a moment for, like, redefining masculinity to these people, too. Like, I'm sure, sure. a lot of people are like, no, man, Marlon Brando was like the god, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, yo, he was the bisexual god. Right. So <laughs> shouts out to him for changing things. And male sexual got yeah. too. Yeah. Like mailbox sexual. Not, not <laughs> yeah, male. Oh, right. The postal. Right. Postal, right. Right. postal sexual would have been better. Yeah. Mail was post, very confusing. Post sexual. Yeah. As you said, uh, Miles, he really did meet everyone. Like in that GQ interview, he talks about hanging out with Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, quote, was always trying to hook me up with Marilyn Monroe. But Marilyn Monroe had a chest that looked like pears, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he... Bought drugs off of Malcolm X, allegedly. Hmm. He met Lenny Riefenstahl, who said that she saw Hitler do cocaine. The he most also, believable part of the interview. Yeah, yeah honestly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, Quincy Jones, had plans to go to a dinner at Sharon Tate's house, and a bunch of murders, like Manson family murders, happened at the dinner. But then he had forgotten to go, so he lived. <laughs> because <laughs> he didn't of his die. body memory. Yeah. Right. I feel like, other than this just being the best, the takeaway is that Everyone, especially famous people, apparently meets every other famous person, right. or at least yeah. a lot of them. That's just going on in the world, and I feel like we don't know that as regular people very often. Right. Yeah. Well, because I think, yeah, outwardly, or like when we look at it, it's like, oh, well, they probably own the people that we've seen them in movies or TV with or on albums with. Yeah. When really, like, once you get to that level, like— that's just that's like the high school you go to, celeb right. school, where it's like, oh, <laughs> right. hey, what's up? Because everybody else would be freaked out. You couldn't, like, interact with them normally. You have to hang out with Marilyn Monroe and Frank Sinatra to get people who aren't, like, yeah, cool. <laughs> right, just blown just away. Said, but what, yeah. yeah, yeah, just amazed to be sitting in a room with you. Because I don't know about you guys. I know the couple of times I've met a huge celebrity. I'm not totally functional. I met Arnold Schwarzenegger once and I just said nothing at all and stared at him. And then he said, hi, I'm Arnold, which was not necessary. <laughs> right. I knew who he was. It yeah. was very weird. And I was like, oh, that's, that's very nice of you to say. Uh, I'm, I'm Alex. I don't know. who's cool. Growing yeah. up here, I've had a few. I've had embarrassing interactions with celebrities. For Harrison Ford saw me with my pants down because uh, <laughs> I used to work at this laser tag place where we do kids' birthdays. And I got cake all over my pants. And I had to okay. clean them in the back area. <laughs> And, like, he just opened the back entrance to the business, which is, like, a service entrance. <laughs> and I was there with, like, my pants around my ankles, like, a wet rag, like, getting icing off the front of my pants. And he just took his glasses off and looked at me. And he's like, is this that laser zone place? <laughs> and, he, and he was no shit. No. He was with Callista Flockhart. This is, like, it was the most real thing. And I was like, it's around the corner. And I looked so dumb. It was, it was, a, it was a shattering moment for me. Mm. Also, Dr. Dre. 
famous Dr. Dre story. Yeah. Can you tell that famous Dr. Dre uh, story? Sure. Uh, since we're talking about music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so at the same place, this place, you, a lot of celebrities had their kids' birthdays there. For whatever reason, I was the party host for one of the birthdays where Dr. Dre was a guest. <laughs> and at the end of the party, you know, you have to like, these parties are all about high volume. So like the kids go in, they play laser tag while they're in there. You get the cake cut. So when they come out, they can serve it. Then they go back and you have to flip the room for the next party. So while all the kids are playing laser tag, I was cleaning up the room to prepare for the next party. And Dr. Dre just comes in, closes the door and sits down and just watches me clean this whole room, like cleaning up like paper plates and like cake and stuff and doesn't say a fucking thing and just watches me. And I was like, I was bugged out. I was like 17 or 18. And I didn't, oh my God. he wasn't saying anything. I kept looking at him and he was just like <laughs> arms crossed. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what he had, what he was thinking. <laughs> and so all I could say was like, hey, I'm a huge fan, Dre. And he just goes, yeah. And that was it. <laughs> and just kept watching kept you. watching me. And I was right. like, yo, this is wild. I got to get out of here. So, Did you feel objectified? Did you feel oh, like he yes. was? Yeah. I like mean, we were man meat or boy meat. I mean, <laughs> yes. I, you know, I've heard all kinds of things about this man. So I, I wasn't sure what was going on in his head. Just for my mental picture, these children's spaces, they usually have really small chairs, right? Was he in like a little <laughs> kid chair <laughs> with yeah. his D's way up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. in an injection, plastic injection molded throne. He was sitting <laughs> there. No, it was, like a, it was like a regular folding chair. But yeah, it was. this was like right when he started getting buff. Mm. So oh, he was man. like new body Dre. Mm. So I don't know if he had a new attitude too, but yeah, mm. I, or maybe he was critiquing my cleaning skills. What a strange new attitude for him to develop. <laughs> yeah. I uh, stare down little children. I now. stalk That's... young men. Yeah. But you know, shout out to Dr. Dre. Um, <laughs> the heart of today's episode is the musical supergroups and collaborations that almost happened and that we almost got because as we've learned from Mr. Jones and Dre at parties and so on, <laughs> these people see each other all the time. They hang out all the time. And it turns out as you look at music, there's a surprising number of times we almost got crazy bands. Yeah. We almost got incredible people together. There's a few that actually happened that are very, very prominent. Like when Bing Crosby and David Bowie did a Christmas song together, even though they're from different eras and right. planets, I believe. And they're just passing each other like between famous geometry and famous biology classes. And we're like, <laughs> oh, hey, man, what's going on? Yeah. What are you doing for nutrition? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I don't know how they met, but... I guess probably Bowie was a fan of his, right? I know they ended up doing the song because it was involved in some kind of TV special, but I uh, don't know how that got booked. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, how did both agents be like, well, they, these two definitely make sense together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. exactly. <laughs> and what does that even look like when you're approached by David? I feel like a falcon would drop off like a small scroll. <laughs> like, just like, oh, David Bowie has invited you to work. I feel like he and Prince left the Earth on the same spaceship yeah. they, because it was too close together. It yeah. doesn't make. Bo was like, just getting the ship warmed up for him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are the most inhuman humans I've ever seen. For me, like I grew up such a big Beatles fan, and then later in life discovered rap, and then kind of my entry person for that was Kanye West, and then I've lived to see Paul McCartney and Kanye West like make stuff together. Right. It's bonkers. Yeah, it really is weird. They were supposed yeah. to do a whole album together, and then they made that one song, and then they made another song that just it didn't quite fit. Like Kanye had his normal song. What what's the one that he performed at the? Uh, British Music Awards at the very end if you listen to the full version it just has like an outro where Paul McCartney like whistles on it it's just like <laughs> alright you guys kind of ran out of stuff to do together at this point um, yeah all day was a Kanye song all day yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's the one I didn't realize there's an extended yeah there's extended an extended director's one where cut where Paul McCartney just does his like dopey little whistling thing at the end <laughs> what is what does he pitch him there at the end he's like and I'll probably just whistle at the end or something right like, yeah yeah or he was just in like a really good mood in the studio before they taped, and then they were like, "Okay, that's all we need." He's like, "No, we started." Oh, what? What? Right? Yeah, I yeah. was just mirthful. No, <laughs> and that's a wrap for Paul that's McCartney. Just Thank Paul you. being Paul, man. <laughs> I feel like Watch the Throne is a good example of like a collaboration that was awesome that we suddenly found out we had like one day. Yeah. It wasn't like a, or at least I didn't know about it before it was happening. And what a time to be alive with Drake and Future. And the King James Bible, I think, was the watch the throne <laughs> of its time because it was basically they just like got all the best writers together and they were like, translate the Bible. And they did. And that's where we got the King James Bible from, I think. Um, so shout out to King James. Yeah, seriously. Because it's a thing where like Shakespeare gigged on the Bible. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. He like, picked up some freelance right. work there, working on the Bible. <laughs> there's that theory that Shakespeare is actually like all the best writers from 
his era just like working together oh, yeah. uh, because he's so great and people just don't think a single person could have written that. But that's not true. Don't believe that. But yeah, he gigged <laughs> on the Bible. The King James Bible was the we are the world of literary things. It almost makes me wish that we had like a monarchy or like an autocracy or something. Like some of these things that almost happened, you know, like if there was a king powerful enough, they would have just been like, no, that's happening. You're doing that. Right. <laughs> You're going to make this Beatles rolling Stones Beach Boys crossover band. Yeah, maybe that'll be Kendrick like Lamar. in 2020. That's what presidential candidates will run on. It's right. like, I vow to get <laughs> right. whoever, you know, the most fire group together. You want Drake <laughs> and Rihanna to date? I will make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then their opponents, like, America deserves better beats. It deserves right. better beats. Yeah, right. We can't have this. It's like, <laughs> I will unearth Jay Dilla tapes and we will remaster them <laughs> to have Kendrick rap over them. Ah! <laughs> but we'll see. There's always really good rap collaborations, I feel like. But a lot of the times they are driven by just purely profit. You know what I mean? Where it's right. like Jay-Z and R. Kelly were like, hey, what if we got together? We could sell a lot of albums. <laughs> right. I'm not sure that was really for the art. Or well, they the, were both like on trial at the same time. So right. they were pro- both probably trying to pay legal fees. This was back before Jay-Z had all the money. Right. He just had most of the money at that point. And he's like, yeah, let me team up with a, a sex crim right. make an album. Yeah, that was back when that wasn't like a horrible career move to team (laughs) up with R. Kelly. Let's look at what the king or other lord would decide as bands that we should have together. And speaking of uh, Jay-Z, there are a few times when he almost put together just like this incredible rap collaboration. Because like you said, Miles, that does happen a lot. That's one of the draws in the medium is that people will team up. But there was almost a team up of Jay-Z and Biggie and Diddy called The Commission. Mm-hmm. Right. That was scrapped due to Biggie's death in 1997, but also probably because it was just hard to get all those people together. And also, P. Diddy is just not a rapper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would be careful to name him in there because we all know, you know, don't worry if he writes he makes rhymes. Good beats, he though. writes checks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, as long as you have him, you know, making the beats and being like, ha ha in the background on all the songs. <laughs> yeah. I think it works. Take that, take uh, that, take yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. That's all he does. But yeah. I actually never knew what this opening ad lib of the song What's Beef was referring to, but he opens by saying, The Commission, Uncle Polly, P. Diddy, Cesar Leo, De Janeiro, Charlie Baltimore, Iceberg Slim, The Most Shady, Frankie Baby. And that's a reference to The Commission. I guess Iceberg Slim is Jay-Z. He's Frank Black or Frank White. He's the Black Frank White. The Black Frank (laughs) White, right. From King of New York. And also King of New York, they love doing ad-libs or like Mm -hmm. interludes that are King of New York ripoffs. Also in Victory, I think Biggie's mentions the commission because like in the commission you got to have permission to hit, hit him. him he yeah. don't life yeah I, it's even weird now yeah. that i think that i was like man that they were really teasing that yeah and we do have like one song from them which is called what you want and it was put out on a posthumous biggie album and it name checks the commission four times in right. the song wow. and they self-describe as the commission mm. and that must have been really really confusing for people just getting that album and not knowing like, right we're like are all these guys a club but right. but not i don't what's going on like, are they just mafia fans <laughs> and I guess when you think about the amount of times Jay-Z what? has ripped off Biggie lyrics, they practically were collaborating right. a lot yeah, of the yeah. time. So, I mean, you know. Speaking of Mr. Ripoff, Jay-Z, there's also another group he almost formed with him, DMX, and Ja Rule. So 90s. That's that deeply 90s. Up. Yeah. It was 1995, heart of the 90s. And they uh, formed a group called Murder Inc. Right. And they announced it on the cover of XXL Magazine, which is the most hip hop thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was going to be a group that put a whole album together, but they just couldn't make Jay Z and DMX get along. It was just too stressful. Yeah. Right. I used to subscribe to Double XL. And I remember when that came out, it, it seemed too good to be true, or not too good to be true, but they were, I mean, they were really putting like really great music out but also when you watch like the backstage have you seen that documentary backstage about the hard knock life tour like you can kind of tell that like a lot of people like used to clown jaw rule even then like even their banter backstage i could see how that people (laughs) would be in their feelings a little bit and not be able to to work together it's so 90s that this was a time when DMX and Ja Rule were huge. Like, uh, relatively. Right. Like this this now sounds like, oh, Jay-Z and some guys from the 90s. Right. Okay. Yeah, 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 but it exactly. was the 90s. It yeah. was great. <laughs> yeah. This would not have been a horrible insult to Jay-Z at the time to be, associate him with DMX and Ja Rule. Yeah. Uh, DMX keeps getting arrested. 
Isn't well, he back in jail for? Yeah, he. I think he uh, like robbed somebody's car with crack on him while he was like at a airport. Yeah, pretending to be he was in the oh. FBI. I think. And he was pretending to be in the FBI. Like <laughs> no. just committed all the crimes in that area in the airport. Where, like, <laughs> yeah. You just don't do that. That's a bad right. idea. Every sentence multiplier possible. Was, right. Like, found like well, you're ter- <laughs> in a federal area by a school right. with crack on you <laughs> yeah. in the commission of a robbery. Right. Like, it's like a celebrity crime Mad Libs or something. It's right. like everything you would throw in. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, Poor he BMX. can't. I mean, yeah, he's he's a troubled man. But I'm not surprised at a man who barks like a wild pit bull on every song. He was letting us know that there was something darker. He was called Dark Man X. Yeah. You know what's funny <laughs> to go back and listen to? Like the love songs on his albums yeah. where, where he's like trying to seduce the woman and it's just like DMX only works in a prison atmosphere like his videos <laughs> oh, yeah. when you go back and watch his videos it's him and like 40 jacked shirtless dudes and they're all just like standing around what could be a prison yard just being mad at stuff and it's like right. yeah he like in the same way Michael Douglas should only exist in like the 80s or the present tense and when you try and put him in the past it doesn't work like DMX doesn't work in a world with women in it. It just has to be him and no. the Rough Riders rapping about what they're going to do to you. Yeah, he needs to be opposed by someone. Right. He, need, he needs uh, like an equal and opposing force, right. like physics or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it is so 90s that they put him on tracks that were like, all right, this is the love song, DMX. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if you saw him live, he used to do prayers on stage and he would break down on stage praying. Wow. No, and really. He would be in the audience like, <gasps> Okay. Uh, uh-huh. School. This dude was screaming at singles like, "Dear Lord, I cannot believe blessings." And you're just like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, for a while. I remember, I remember when I saw the first time. I was really taken aback. That's when it showed you like you could be really menacing, but also you could be really unstable too. <laughs> right. They're not mutually exclusive. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not like I'm angry all the time. Nothing can can can, can stop me. You know, unless it's a really heartfelt prayer about what's going on in the world. <laughs> well, and also as far as where the rest of that group is at, Ja Rule is uh, pretty famously the, I, I don't know, least man? successful. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. He put together an event called the Fire Festival, F-Y-R-E. And I don't know if, if everybody listening knows uh, what that is. Yeah. But that was an attempted island music festival where they did not provide water to the guests or other basic supplies. And it, it basically became a humanitarian situation right? instead of a music event. The organizing principle where these millennials, they're <laughs> fucking idiots. They'll come to anything. And like they just, they didn't put <laughs> any planning into it besides that. No. So it was just they sent everyone to an island and there wasn't water or that there were like a couple of finger sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and like they, people like clawed each other to death to get to. Was, and like I think they were in actual like FEMA disaster relief tents. With yes. Like the lodging. Yep. You know, you put uh, Kendall Jenner and some Hadid sisters in the promo video that mm-hmm. anyone will believe that this is happening. Because right? <laughs> wasn't the thing too, like they didn't even really finally like confirm the, the artists either or like yeah. at the last minute they're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is so. Yeah, Nobody's coming. Disorganized, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Woodstock, to get a lot of those artists to come to Woodstock, they were, like, negotiating up to the last second, and they were being, like, coptered in at the last second. That that almost didn't come together. So, I mean, I'm just saying the Fire Festival is modern been, Woodstock. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I think a storm hit Grand Cayman or whatever. Wasn't a storm hit the area, which was also, like, exacerbating just how poorly planned the festival was. I thought they were also dealing with like terrible weather. Oh, really? On top of it being a total disaster of a festival. So, oh, ja. <laughs> yeah. We also we talked about Endelier a little bit before. They almost fully reunited and added Snoop Dogg in the year 2000. It would have been a perfect like way to ring in the millennium, you know? Here we mm-hmm. go. Like oh, one of the top rap groups is back together minus deceased EZE, but adding Snoop Dogg who's like a perfect not replacement, but like additional new person. Yeah. Right. It didn't seem out of left field. He was like the West Coast's uh, golden boy at the time. Yeah, I feel like yeah. Dre has his rap muses and, you know, Easy was gone and Snoop was the latest rap muse at that point and Eminem and 50 Cent were yet to come. And yeah. so, yeah, it, it kind of made sense as a progression, but yeah. they didn't totally follow through on it. Because they did one song on TV live and then they did a song on the soundtrack for the movie Next Friday 
And then beyond that, it was like, okay, and now we're going to do an album. And nah, there's nothing. <laughs> right, everybody right. got distracted or something. Because Dre, I guess, like you say, he was like hunting for new people or something. Right. I don't know what. Yeah. That's why you need a Fuhrer or an autocrat to make it happen, yeah. to hold right. those people together. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. how, how long have we been promised detox from Dr. Right. Dre? How exactly. Long, how Somebody has... needs to hold a gun to his head. <laughs> that and album make was that supposed to come, come out, out literally, what, like 15 years ago? <laughs> <Right>. And <laughs> yeah. what's funny is people still are like, yo, I think there's a leaked track from Detox. Like, like it's going to come out. It's like, no, it's not, man. Right, because he's so hypercritical and so worried about, you know, it living up to expectations that he's never going to release it. So the only way that people ever hear it is in these, like, little leaked tracks that, like, accidentally come out. Or people who had an idea of his past work will have to die so there's no point of reference for people. And then then it can be put out posthumously and they'll be like, oh, this is great. Or maybe it'll be, like, Smile, the Beach Boys legendary album that people for a long time thought didn't exist. It was like the follow-up to Pet Sounds right as Brian Wilson was like losing his mind and people were like, oh, that's just a legend. But then uh, about 10 years ago, they were just like, ah, no, here it is. Here are all the recorded tracks. (laughs) And it was fucking awesome. So maybe we'll get that from Detox. Maybe. Wow, I never thought about that. Especially with digital media, they can just like post it. They don't even have to like print CDs or something. Just go for it. Yeah, Pretty, Pretty low cost. Just give people a WeTransfer link. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be a great dramatic way to package it. Yeah, hey, yeah. he talks <laughs> it out. I mean, I don't know. Get the, yeah. get the weed Dr. transfer. Dr. just league. emails it to a email list, mailing list. <laughs> that listserv. Yeah, from like the 90s. <laughs> the Dr. Dre fan club. Smile reminds me of, we also, we want to talk about the Beatles a bit because Paul McCartney came up. I feel like Paul McCartney in particular has put the kibosh on a lot of times we could have just had the Beatles back, especially if we had some kind of autocrat. I feel like that's the first thing they would have done right. if they took power in the 1970. Beatles never would have broken up. Like, yeah. No, you guys are together. Like like Michael Jordan on that alien planet in Space Jam where he just has to do that forever. Right. The autocrat <laughs> would be like, you're the Beatles forever. That's right. it. One of my favorite things that almost happened in the history of music was basically Lennon and McCartney were hanging out at, I think, Lennon's apartment in New York City. And at that time, there was like a rumor going around that the Beatles were going to reunite on Saturday Night Live. And Lorne Michaels had a bit where he was like, we are going to offer you guys $3,000 to come down (laughs) here and reunite. It was like a really funny bit. And as he was doing this bit, Lennon and McCartney just happened to like turn on the TV and they were like, ah, it'd be funny if we went down there. And they like came really close. They like got up, got ready to go down to SNL because it was like right down the street. And then they just were like, eh, actually, we're kind of tired. <laughs> we went out all night last night. So Let's just physical labor was the only thing. Yeah. Like, you're like, physical exhaustion was the only thing keeping them from, you know, reuniting and like making SNL, making yeah. it one of, probably one of the most epic moments in live TV history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, because not only a reunion, but also paying off a bit. Right, exactly. Like, utterly prime first few seasons SNL. Right. Yeah. That <laughs> could have been pretty incredible. This, this is detail-oriented. But yeah, assuming Lennon was at the Dakota, that's like three subway stops away from SNL. That would have been very, very easy to do. And he was just like, ah, we're not going to do the 15-minute yeah. trip. Yeah, whatever. and Lennon not and McCartney at that stage famously only took the subway. Would yeah. never. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did always want to. I don't know why I assume, save a dollar. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I assume they traveled like I did when I lived in New York. Like, but yeah, they they almost did that. They also and 1976 for some reason was like prime almost Beatles time. They uh, apparently all four members of the band got together and taped some new songs together in 1976 because there's like a loose note from the recording studio for a session by. John, Paul, George, and Rich. And Richard Starkey is Ringo Starr's actual name. Oh, really? So that was like, I think that maybe they were attempting like very, very minimal code or something <laughs> right. as far yeah, as who worst. was there. All right, instead, <laughs> just use Ringo's real name. Right. <laughs> That'll yeah. throw him off. There's some great quotes from the Quincy Jones interview about how bad a musicians the Beatles were. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, okay, when I say the Beatles, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Terrible musicians, man. Yeah. They couldn't play worth a shit. No playing motherfuckers. <laughs> and then he talks about how he like... Ringo couldn't get this drum for it. Yeah. And so he told him to like go have a beer and like 
kind of get out of his own head type of thing. And then as Ringo was out, like getting out of his own head, they brought in a professional like session musician who like laid down the drums the way that Quincy Jones wanted it. And then yeah. Ringo came back and he was like, play that back one more time. And he was like, actually, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Quincy Jones was like, I wanted to say, yeah, because it isn't you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy, though. Nice guy, though. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, he that's how he pivots. He is the... Because it pivots. ain't you, motherfucker. Nice uh, guy, though. And also the, the session they did, they, the the slip says there were five new songs, and then the rumor is that the Beatles were so upset with the quality of the work after they heard it that they had all of the tapes erased and destroyed. So, you know someone has to have it. <laughs> right. If they recorded it, somebody has it. Someone squirreled it away. Yeah. If you're listening, yeah. send us the songs. And we know yeah. you are. No big deal. <laughs> uh, just you we recommend We Transfer you if you got us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this way. episode brought to you by We Transfer, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you are duty-bound to actually release that music to the world. And I wonder if it was bad. It would also be kind of interesting to just hear, like, it would probably blow my mind to hear them together sounding awful. Well, yeah, I mean, they yeah. were all making plenty of terrible music at that time. Like, there was also, <laughs> they were making great music, right. but, like, Paul McCartney, was was that Wings era? That was probably pre-Wings, yeah. but, like, it was, it was like, you know, all of them from the Beatles onward were pretty hit and miss. Yeah, John true. Lennon made some amazing music as a solo artist, but he also made some shitty music as a solo artist. I so. think they say Wings was formed in 1971. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was Wings-era McCartney. Well, yeah, like because there's the amazing George, like, triple album, uh, All Things Must Pass. And right. There's there's uh, good Lennon work, but it's within very deep solo catalogs that were not always great. Right, yeah. not always great. When they were the Beatles together, they made, like, always great music, but maybe yeah. they broke up for a reason. I think they all just needed to get out of George's way because George apparently had yeah. a great triple album just waiting to bloom. <laughs> The concert yeah. for Bangladesh is amazing. Though. Yeah, it's so cool. That's like that was when yeah. I really got hip to like George, and I was like, "Oh, George!" Yeah. And then that documentary that came out, uh, that HBO one, the Scorsese documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That was another very life. big yeah. eye opener for me because I, yeah, for me, I, not being a huge Beatles fan, George was like sort of on the periphery in terms of my attention for the Beatles. I have a friend who has a theory that there's like a favorite Beatle for each stage in your life. And George <laughs> right. is like a later stage just because we all eventually find out like, oh, he, oh, he shit, was, was amazing. George. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wait, so like, it's Paul, childhood, like, and then John Lennon. And then John and Lennon's then George, like teenage young adult because you're then, like political now. And know? then George as an adult and then Ringo when you're suffering from dementia. Yes. Or, <laughs> yeah. okay. And then Billy Preston when you figure it out. Right. And then you're like, ooh, Billy oh, really, really came with it. You see the man behind the man. Uh -huh. Yeah. George Martin when you're way into gear, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your gear phase in your late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. Uh, you have an yeah. identity crisis. And you're like, you know, George played with this. So, yeah. yeah. Replacement Paul when you join the Illuminati. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> right. steps. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Who know you are a cracked podcast listener. You're a neat person. All right. You got stuff going on and you should put it online. You should celebrate it with its own internet website. Squarespace has beautiful templates created by world-class designers that make it easy to turn your idea into something unique. You can showcase work, blog or publish content, even sell products and services in just a few clicks, and you can customize everything. It's also optimized for mobile right out of the box, and you can use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow it in real time. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com, offer code CRACKED. Hey there, grown-up fans of the Cracked Podcast. Are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual we can't mention it, and to top it all off, they will even throw in free shipping on your entire order. No, they're not kidding. Free shipping. That usually costs money. So, check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. 
Get 50% off one item, plus three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping when you enter the offer code CRACKED at checkout. Just use offer code CRACKED at adamandeve.com. That's CRACKED, C-R-A-C-K-E-D, at adamandeve.com. The Miles Davis-Jimi Hendrix one was, the fact that that was almost a thing is pretty crazy. That's a truly crazy group. In 76, there was a promoter who tried to get all of the Beatles to reassemble for $230 million, and they barely said no. But before that, in 1969, Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix were already working together. Yeah, just so like already jamming together. Yeah. And if you don't know at home, Miles Davis is probably the most iconic trumpet player of all time. Jimi Hendrix on the guitar. Most I would say Chuck time. Mangione is probably one of the most iconic uh, yeah. trumpet players. Don't joke. I really <laughs> like him. I really like him. No, I love Chuck Mangione. Uh, but- I'm, really I mean, my, that's my namesake, so right. I, I'm duty, I'm honor-bound to say this is the coolest man ever. That's why yeah, people are always like, he's cooler than Chuck Mangione. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the fact real, that those yeah. sessions don't exist sucks, man. The fact that people, yeah. somebody didn't record Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix jamming, but then they were like, yeah, we need a bassist. Let's get Paul McCartney, <laughs> great songwriter, in here, and Paul McCartney... Never got that letter. Uh, it doesn't seem something like something about though, because Miles Davis was a hothead though too. Like, oh yeah, had, it would have been a nightmare. It would have been interesting because he was really about his money a lot right. of the time. So he was like, "Hey man, I ain't playing this shit unless y'all pay right to check." <laughs> right, because his voice was fucked up back then. But yeah, that was also like bitches brew era. Yeah. Miles Davis. Which I mean, that that's when he was really like changing the the sound of like jazz fusion too. So to throw Jimmy in there, I who knows what that would have done. Because Hendrix dies in 1970, so that ends up eventually putting a roadblock on this, but Davis and Hendrix already working together, and then one of their assistants sends a note to um, Paul McCartney's team to say, hey, we could use a bass player, and we hear you're a bass player. And then um, Paul was vacationing in Scotland, and his assistant, for some reason, just sent Hendrix and Davis like a form letter back. Like, right. he's, he's busy in Scotland, and he will get back to you, rather than like checking in with him or something right. and seeing yeah, if yeah. he's interested. Yeah. And then that disinterest, according to the story of it, slowed down Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix because it, like I don't know, sapped yeah. their motivation or something. And then before they could... Ask again or get it together again. Uh, Jimi Hendrix passes away. Can you imagine that they were just so deflated because they were like, "Well, it's Paul or nothing," and that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. anyone else who plays bass. Yeah, <laughs> they say that's what killed Hendrix. <laughs> right? That, no, that, that nobody says that. But yeah, it's interesting, especially because Quincy Jones talks about uh, Quincy Jones is now my Rosetta Stone for all music yeah, history. Yeah. And he talks about how Davis and Jimi Hendrix were good musicians, but Davis was a real student of music, I think. And Hendrix was just kind of good at riffing on certain things. Because <laughs> Hendrix played with Little Richard, too, coming up. Did he really? Yeah. And like, oh, there's wow. a, yeah, like he was like in his band. And then Little Richard always said, he's like, man, I knew this kid was going to be way bigger because we'd be playing. And then he would just say, he would get to rumping and a tumping, as he says in this one, <laughs> this one documentary. He's like, he used to play, and it would make your big toe shoot up in your boot. Like, it's a verbatim quote. It's one of That's my That's never happened to anyone. Yeah, I know, but, is, he's, but, but Little Richard's flying off cocaine in this interview. Right, you can just right, tell. Yeah. So like, he's like, woo! Because like, he starts going like, literally describes like, because you know, he would get to playing like, woo! And woo! Like, and you're just watching, like, this guy is out of his mind. But also, you, he knew. He knew back right. then. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. young James was was the man. I went to a Suf John Stevens concert, or Sufjan Stevens, Sufjan, mm-hmm. depending, Sufjan, yeah. in my early 20s, like in early 2000. And I always remember there was this female guitarist who just, like, fucking shredded and destroyed, like, the concert. And I just remember being like, who the fuck is that? And then I heard an interview with him maybe a couple months ago. And he was talking about how St. Vincent started out as like a guitarist on that tour. And like he was like, he would let her just like riff for a little bit and she would just take over the show for songs at a time. If people don't know, St. Vincent is the stage name of Annie Clark, who is an amazing musician. Yeah. That's incredible. She was just (laughs) out there jamming. So they were were a super group. Yeah. There were some weird, almost 
things like that, too, with other musicians. Like Elton John did an audition for King Crimson. If people don't know King Crimson, it's a prog rock band from the past. And Elton John was an unknown pianist at the time. And so they were just looking for a guy and kind of like St. Vincent showing up for Sufjan. He just showed up for the audition and they decided he wasn't good and didn't use it. (laughs) (laughs) This guy can't sing worth a shit. There's a guy named Robert Fripp, who's uh, one of the main members of King Crimson. He said, Elton had been booked to sing all the songs on Poseidon, which was the album, for 250 quid as a session singer. And as I wasn't familiar with his work, but his style didn't seem right for Crimson, and the album was poor, so I canceled the sessions. He's like, oh, this album's not good. You shouldn't sing on it. (laughs) You're not right because you're wildly talented. uh, (laughs) This album sucks. I've thought before about if Elton John had found a different poet to, like, collaborate with. Some of his song lyrics are, are good. Because he his longtime lyricist, I think it's Bernie, Bernie Taupin. Taupin, yeah. Like, that's the only thing Bernie Taupin <laughs> writes is Elton John lyrics. Like, he's not a famous poet or anything. So that's kind of a, a fun what if, if he had, like, yeah. you know, collaborated with Cormac McCarthy or something. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun. Out there, stream of thought. Yeah. <laughs> There's one more McCartney thing. He and Mick Jagger uh, killed a group because they're at one point late in the run of the Beatles as a band. There were plans to make a Beatles and Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan album where all of the people involved would like submit songs and then through some sort of internal voting process, they would decide what the super, super band's album would be. <laughs> and only McCartney and Mick Jagger said definitely no. Everybody right. else was at least kind of into it, if not really into it. Yeah. I mean, because what? They were big fans of Dylan's, right? Yeah, especially especially the Beatles. Yeah. 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 Just another good what if is if Brian Wilson hadn't gone crazy because it was like, Revolver caused him to make pet sounds, which caused the Beatles to make Sgt. Peppers. And like yeah. that caused him to try to make Smile and then lost his mind. And But if that had just kept ratcheting up, we could have seen like a an arms race of, you know, and, and America could have had a sort of Beatles counterpart. Yeah, because Brian Wilson's Beach Boys, if people don't know, that was like when Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd have bigger cannons in that in the Barbara right. Seville one, when they just like keep running, competing with each other and one-upping each other. That was the Beatles and the Beach Boys for a while. But yeah, yeah then like you say, the Beach Boys kind of well, went astray. Mike Love convinced him that Smile was a bad idea because Pet Sounds didn't sell well. He was like, see, <laughs> yeah. you and your stupid ideas, like we got to get back to the hot rods and surfing. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Brian Wilson was like, yeah, I'm an idiot and didn't get out of bed for five years. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so the good guys always win, though, guys. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at uh, this is another band that almost happened kind of in that era. The band, the Mina Birds, which kind of a rotating lineup of exactly who was in it. At one point, that band had Neil Young and Rick James, and they were signed to Motown Records and making that kind of music which is mm-hmm. insane. And it was a product of Rick James, who's American, fleeing to Canada to dodge the draft for Vietnam in 1964. He was like, I got to get out of here. And then according to him, he was walking on the street in Toronto and a gang of white guys tried to attack him because they were racist. Mm. And some people who saved him were Garth Hudson and Levon Helm, who would eventually be in the band, right. which Brother is Levon? another group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then from there, they introduced Rick James to other people. And eventually this band, the Mina Birds, came together. And then they went down to Detroit to record stuff for Motown. And in the process of that, then Rick James was back in the country and got caught. And it all fell apart. And didn't they, like, run into Stevie Wonder? and Or I forget who they ran yeah. into in the story. Stevie Wonder. And he, at, at that time, Rick James was going by... Ricky James Matthews or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, he kind of Justin Timberlake in the social network, Tim. He was like, drop the Matthews, just make it Rick James. And that's how his name came about. Yeah, because they were at Motown. And so then there's all that right. people cross pollinating too. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Canadian Come R&B. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish the advice from Stevie Wonder was like, Ricky James Matthews? No, no, no. Dave Matthews. <laughs> that would have ruined the best band ever, man. Why, why, are you, why, are you, why would you wish that? He's like, you ever try cocaine, man? Stevie <laughs> <laughs> like one Downhill from there. <laughs> and then uh, part of the fallout of that was Neil Young was going to be in this band, the Minor Burns, and then he was like, oh, no, it's all fell apart because our singer got arrested and we have to go. So he and Bruce Palmer drove to L.A. and formed Buffalo Springfield. 
And so then from there, you get Neil Young doing that and then working his way into CSNY and, and everything else in Neil Young's whole career. That's crazy. Yeah. So Rick James brought him there, yeah. of all people. <laughs> that is not who you would expect. Yeah. We mentioned Prince a lot at the top of the show. And Prince has always had his own band and his own thing and his own mansion and color. And he really he has a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. But he also he's collaborated with a ton of people and then almost collaborated with an even more amazing group of people. My theory is if he was more conventional interpersonally, like he would have just ended up starting a full on band with some of the biggest people ever. But yeah. he was like, no, I need my own band, mansion, color, symbol. You get it. I have <laughs> right. my yeah. And planet. You guys get it. Yeah. The Madonna thing is crazy. It was like Prince and Madonna both at their peak. And he was just like, the world isn't ready for this. Yes. Yeah. Too big. <laughs> it's like, what? Or a very nice way of saying, I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, probably. But also maybe the world wasn't ready. Maybe it would have caused World War Three. You that don't know. Prince would. Or before Prince Madonna died? was going col- <laughs> to collaborate with Michael Jackson, though. There's a thing where like Prince and Michael Jackson and Madonna all almost collaborated more all around like the 80s and probably early 90s. Right. Yeah. Right. Prince and Madonna almost did a world tour together. But to quote Prince, the world isn't ready for this. It's yeah. too big. Right. And then Michael Jackson almost did his song Bad with Prince. And then Michael Jackson and Madonna there was a thing where they started kind of dating. And this comes from an old Adam Todd Brown article. Uh, he d- describes it as like they started dating just to kind of figure out if they could collaborate musically together. Right. And then from there, they decided that basically Michael Jackson was too childlike and Madonna was too adult and they just couldn't function together. And that was the only reason they didn't make like an album together from there. That makes total sense. I can't think of a worse sexual match between between two people <laughs> yeah. than incredibly sexually aggressive Madonna and like sexually terrified, like stunted Michael Jackson. Yeah, I can't imagine that would have worked out too well. If they did date, according to these stories, it had to be like play date pretending dating or right, something. That's you know, what it they doesn't say. make sense. It was just like fun teasing. Like going to the movies and holding hands and leaving or something. Right. I don't, One of their big beefs be. was that he wanted to go to Disneyland and she was like, <laughs> we're grown-ups. What the fuck are you talking about? He loved Disneyland. Right? Oh, it'll be fun. My dad used to work for Michael Jackson and I remember like his most joyous moments were being able to go to Disneyland to take like to decompress for a little bit. Mm-hmm. When you're that like emotionally stunted, like yeah, it makes sense. You would only, that is like where you go. You were forever 10 years old in your brain. Right. Right. What did your dad do for Michael Jackson? He was his was personal his photographer from like 77 till about 1983. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he like toured with him and took many pictures of him. Yeah. And they were and they were friends, too. And it was funny because my dad would talk about how after shows, like fans would find out what hotel they're in. And my dad would like pick up groupies just residually because he's like, yeah, I'm the photographer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like Michael would like the next day be like, hey, I saw you with some girls. Like you, guys <laughs> you wanted the out. details? Yeah, but not even the details. He would just be like, you guys hang out. And my dad would just be like, yeah. And he would like giggle. Like, cause he was so, <laughs> so cause he was so not like wired, you know, and that's right. why like a lot of people and they're like, oh, you know, Michael Jackson, like, you know, what was he doing in, ki- in bed with kids or whatever? Like from everyone, like, especially my dad who, who spent time with him, they describe him as emotionally just very much like a child and just, like had no, man, he was like right. ace, nearly asexual. And cause I can't even believe that man had kids, but it's crazy to think like, I can imagine her being like shitting on Disneyland and him being like, I don't like her. I mean, so much of his life makes sense if it's just like the whole Jesus juice thing seems like he's a creepy predator if you think of him as an adult. But if he's like a kid whose parents aren't home and he's like, I got spiked like soda, you guys like that makes more sense. And (laughs) like when he had the baby and like held it over the edge of the thing, it's like, yeah, that's if you let a 12 year old babysit a baby, you would like expect them to do something (laughs) that or just crazy. A human being with a lot of emotional trauma throughout his life. <laughs> yeah. Especially like he had staff and he was basically a baby. Yeah. So like, as a boss, he mu- it must have just been like, hey, do you want me to do that thing? I'm a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's, I don't know. It's insane. Can you build yeah. a theme park at the house? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, essentially. It's like yeah. how Richie Rich would like live. He's like, no, we're going to have a theme park here. My favorite part is that Prince chose not to do bad because it opens with the line, your butt is mine, which has always struck me as <laughs> it's like so funny that bad just existed at all because it was like Michael Jackson's attempt to like get tough. Right. But like his version yeah. of tough was like a West Side Story, like street tough. Yeah. Like he was like, but is mine. And Prince was like, nah, man, that's too much. It's just like they're right. out, out 
weirdoing <laughs> each other. You like, ain't bad. You ain't nothing. Yeah, that video is very convincing. He seems yeah, he's wearing leather. Real rough. Yeah, yeah real, real tough guy. <laughs> it's like Michael Jackson is a baby, and then Prince is like an alien baby. Right. Like, like, yeah, yeah. On my planet, we don't behave that way. Right. right. They're both aliens. Yeah, but they're they're from very different planets. Very different systems. Well, and also as far as other Prince collaborations, Kendrick Lamar. What? was on Howard Stern. As I was double-checking this story, the first source I found is the Billings Gazette. Uh, you know, Raps Paper of Record. <laughs> Billings Montana. Billings Montana. But they say that Kendrick Lamar, one day he was at Prince's mansion and got to play one of his songs for Prince, and Prince was way into it, and then, like, pulled him onto a stage at a concert he saw, and then, like, he guessed with them a bit on a concert, and basically, uh, in Kendrick's opinion, they could have worked together if it if just, like, the day they met wasn't so hectic and if stuff worked out. Hmm. And if you like past or present music, you know, that's cool. Yeah, uh, that would have been pretty really cool. Neat. But I like yeah. the idea of how you described it. It's like, well, if, if it had been any other day, we, we, we definitely would have collaborated. It almost sounds like a person who's just trying to, like, rationalize that. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah, any yeah. other day. You right. Know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, just, he was real busy. Yeah. That's if, all. if you ask Prince, he's like, I didn't like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he uses too much foul language. Yeah. yeah. How are they going to get around that? Yeah. Prince, oh, sure. Prince, like, <laughs> beat up Sinead O'Connor for using bad language. Oh, really? Yeah. Because also, I'm not that versed in Prince, and there, there's like a billion legends around him. Like, there's there, this is the tip of the iceberg that we're getting to, too. Yeah. But what about sexy motherfucker? He's saying motherfucker in that. Yeah, I don't know. He, I think at he a certain the, yeah. point, he decided he was no longer going to say oh, swear really? words. Was he born again or something? In some way? Am I Well, he's a stuff Jehovah's up? Witness, and okay. uh, I know that he became very serious about that at, at some point in his mm. career. My favorite legendary story about him is the conversation with Matt Damon that you have in here. Yeah, there's a, there was an interview with Matt Damon, and he says that in the past, uh, they invited Prince to the premiere of The Born Supremacy or something. And I guess Prince went and had yeah. a great time, you know, because yeah. he loves late period Born movies. <laughs> right. And Prince invited Matt Damon to one of his shows. Then Matt Damon and Prince were just hanging out as much as they do. They're just sitting there. And Matt Damon was like, I got to say something. <laughs> right. <And> so <laughs> Matt Damon says, so you live in Minnesota. I hear you live in Minnesota. And then Prince says, I live inside my own heart, Matt Damon. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Let him know. Yeah, you do. That must have been so awkward yeah. for Matt Damon. Like after, like what do you, like he even even if he made a joke, he's like, yeah, for sure, man. Prince would have probably just looked at him like, yeah. blank. I do. I would believe that Prince has never laughed. Like not that he's upset or mad or anything. He's just never chosen to laugh. Yeah. at any right. time. He's just smiled to himself. Yeah. Like yeah. Hmm. So do you guys have like hypothetical supergroups that you wanted to see or that you've always hoped for? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Paul Simon and anyone, like Paul Simon was really only matched up with Garfunkel <laughs> for Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, but like he was really good at mining other people's shit. Like he was would like steal his songs from like other cultures around the world. I feel like if you paired him with like a really dope musician, that could have been cool. Yeah. There's a real almost one that was only very, very briefly a thing that I think would have actually worked which was uh, James Murphy, who's now, or became LCD Sound System. I think he's, like, retired and come back or something like that. Right. But in 2003, according to him, Britney Spears was working on her album In the Zone and getting sent around to just all the top hot new producers. And so they hung out and tried to make music for a day. Right. And he's so good at putting just a whole experience together, and she's such an effective performer. I feel like that would have worked. It could have right. been cool. Yeah. But it didn't, yeah, why didn't it work out? He said, she seemed eager to please, but it went nowhere. She went to dinner and just never came back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I love that so much. <laughs> you think so she, she just, just got intimidated? To, his yeah. description, it was very strange. We were both lying on the floor head to head working on lyrics in a notepad, which makes it sound like it's like a sleepover party. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Writing in their burn book. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> But that would have been cool, like a really critically acclaimed Britney Spears album, like that's like very yeah. progressive. My God, yeah. yeah, that would have been dope. I feel like male artists, much more than female artists, get that kind of shot where they can like be very poppy early on and then grow. You know, and mm -hmm. I, I think we give that to female artists less. And like Britney's tough; she has longevity. She just did that Vegas thing, and yeah. she probably could have grown with uh, with James Murphy. You know, yeah. why not? Totally.
She's living her best life now, though. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Her, yeah. Well. I think, see, from what I from what her Instagram shows me. <laughs> yeah, her Instagram, <laughs> which is like one half a good Instagram feed and one half hostage video, where she's like, "Please help me send money." Yeah, <laughs> like it's very some, strange. Oh no! Because like you can see some darkness. Her dad there. is in charge of her estate, I think, and so. Oh, like still? She, yeah, I think oh, so. Man. Because she had some issues in the past, and so oh, like yeah. she. Like there are different things she does that certain people believe that are they're like coded messages of like please help please rescue me. That's so, not what Barbara Gray does that podcast. She does a whole I podcast. Who else, on, but yeah, they just they use that as just oh. fodder for an entire show <laughs> because it's so layered. And if I guess if you're a fan, you can start connecting dots. As as far as who I'd want to come together, like there was just never enough George Harrison Bob Dylan stuff. Like there, even even on the Harrison solo albums, there are a few songs written by Dylan that he did, and then would go the other direction too. I think, but they just should have been like just a Lennon McCartney kind of thing. Yeah, forever. Yeah, like, why not? Would have been great. You know, if like Steely Dan could also like could just make Michael McDonald like a permanent part of that, like to just fully melt down the yacht rock machine, <laughs> would have been. I, I would have tuned in for that. Because I know that a lot of those guys yeah. collaborated, but like to never like really fully just be like, no, this is it. This right, right. Putting putting all the powers that be together, that would have been something, for, at least for me, mm-hmm. as a Michael McDonald fan. Because he's a Doobie brother, right? And mm-hmm. then also he did that collaboration with the indie band Grizzly Bear, right? And it was great. It was really, oh, really? cool. Yeah. I haven't heard that. So I think it's a Grizzly Bear song, but they had Michael McDonald just sing it and make a oh, new right. version yeah. of it, and it's awesome. It's really good. And then he was like on <laughs> tour with Thundercat too. Yeah, really. Yeah, then it was actually really good. I was surprised. I was like, yeah, oh, no, his shit. voice is amazing. Oh, it's butter. <laughs> straight butter, baby. I was proposing Nick Drake, Cat Stevens, and John Lennon in his solo years, like just team up to make Wes Anderson orgasm in his pants <laughs> with a just just because like traveling just with songs, berries. guys. Yeah. Just, with, just songs. with songs. Just with songs. Nothing but gross. Just like the exact same vibe, just crash together. Trailing Wilburys is a good one where it finally actually worked out because that is Harrison and Dylan working. Yeah, together Harrison, Dylan, and. Tom uh, Petty, yeah, and Roy, Roy Orbison. Orbison, like they yeah. have the same vibe just across all of them, and they were like, "What if we concentrated this together?" However much they did it was not enough. Like the couple right. of albums we got, it's like, "No, do it. No, do this until do more." You're done. Yeah, yeah. Or sort of like uh, the Highwaymen too is like the perfect country version of that. It's like Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson, and Willie Nelson, and Waylon Jennings. It's like, mm. oh, all four of those guys are on the same wavelength. Great. Yeah, like, yeah. Let's exactly. just do that yeah. all the time, vibrating at the same frequency. We're brainstorming earlier uh we're we're thinking ketis on lead vocals <laughs> regis on backup uh darrell revis uh <laughs> yeah sure, uh, sure like on back backup and then jesus just kind of overseeing <laughs> yeah. conducting the whole thing jesus ketis regis and revis yeah jesus yeah. ketis regis revis stevie wonder ray charles andrea bocelli and then the blind slide guitar guy from roadhouse <laughs> would be interesting <laughs> <laughs> called that one we call out of sight yeah if we're really going for the really great ones we just have to tear down space and time <laughs> to, to really make these happen yeah another like one that was cut off by someone's death that could have been amazing is michael stipe and kurt cobain like i, yeah. I was a huge rem head uh, <laughs> as we call ourselves uh, when <laughs> i was it? like in middle school yeah and i loved kurt cobain and so michael stipe like knew that Kurt Cobain was in trouble and tried to like book a recording session for them to work together and like collaborate on an album. And he sent him, he like bought Kurt Cobain a plane ticket to come collaborate with him and they were all set to do it. And then when the driver arrived to pick Kurt Cobain up, he like had the plane ticket like nailed to his wall or something, oh. some dramatic thing like that. Um, <laughs> it's a nicer way of saying no. Yeah, and then he killed himself not too long after that. But uh, I just want to say, Michael Stipe, if you know he's in trouble, go there. Don't yeah, don't right. send him a plane ticket. <laughs> yeah, go, well, learn from Angie's mistake. Right, you exactly. Don't, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> you go do man. it in person, and man. These collaborations, we all lose. Yeah, yeah. But actually, I didn't realize how much Kurt Cobain looked up to uh, to Michael Stipe. Yeah, I had he loved no, REM. Yeah, like I had and no rightly idea. so. REM's great. This is a real one, but also since we've been calling David Bowie an alien this whole time, because he is, and right. we, and we mean that in the best way. He and Elvis were almost a thing. They almost like, really teamed up and did it. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, you wouldn't expect that collaboration, but at the same time, like Bowie's such a sort of 
pop culture genius and Elvis is sort of this yeah like it, I can see how he would have been into Elvis and that that could have been cool and yeah. people were saying that Black Star was like a tribute to that or like to the unreleased album that they made together or something or that yeah, they could have made together there's a song and I didn't know it existed until I was googling this crazy stuff but it was an unreleased Elvis song called Black Star and it sounds like an Elvis song and the lyrics are about like there's a black star following me there's a black star following me and now the theory is that that's why David Bowie called his last album that especially because he I think knew he was dying as he made it yeah you know? he, did. Like he was on the way out mm-hmm. um, back in the 70s David Bowie, it turns out, wrote his song Golden Years for Elvis. That was the plan. Was like right. he wrote the song mm-hmm. and then he had his wife, Angie. He was like, bring it to Elvis. You'll be my messenger, <laughs> I guess. Right. Take this to Elvis. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just like that, huh? <laughs> right. And the spaceship lowered the ladder. Right, and then right. she and then what happened, according to the story, is Angie was too nervous to find Elvis and bring it up. She was, like, too impressed with Elvis to even talk about it, but also didn't tell David Bowie that she didn't do it. Now, and see, I'd imagine Elvis was pretty unassuming and just, like, a chill guy to approach <laughs> yeah. at that stage. Yeah, when he's not shooting a TV. <laughs> yeah, shooting TVs and walking right. into the White House with a revolver yeah. to give yeah, to Richard Nixon in a cape. <laughs> Seems pretty yeah. chill. What's that like, like when a- Angie comes back and David's like, did you give it to Elvis? And she's like, um, yeah, he, he, he'll get back to us. Right. <laughs> From there, Elvis heard the finished Bowie song, Golden Years, and reached out to Bowie. And he right. was like, I love that song, which proves it would have been a great right. idea. He's tapped right. into, He's totally into like Elvis's taste in music and like wrote the song that would attract Elvis. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then Elvis said, David Bowie, you need to produce my next album. And David Bowie was like, I would love to. And this was in early 1977, and then Elvis dies in mid 1977. Yeah. They never do it. That fucking sucks. Yeah, that would have been that, that would have been the phone call that would have exposed Angie though too. He's like, I just heard Golden Years. <laughs> and I love it. He's like, Wait, but I didn't you get the right. what? No. <laughs> Make up your fucking mind, Elvis. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Jack and to Miles. And I would be more effusive in my thanks. I'm just not uh, not feeling it uh, health-wise. So let's move on to the end. You'll find links for their show, The Daily Zeitgeist. Also, the links to the Carolyn Burke and Adam Todd Brown article we talked about and everything else that comes up in this. Also, a ticket link for a live episode this Saturday. And this episode's theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. It was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, a thing I have accidentally taken a break from by being in bed a whole lot. You can find my Twitter account at Alex Schmitty. I'm on the wider internet at alexschmitty.com. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.